Broadcasting live from Miss Minute's empty eyes, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. And my goodness, we've got a we've got a pretty succinct news week this week, I think. It's uh we're we're gonna be getting into our big segment, the Loki finale, the Loki season one finale. Uh, right on the other side of these these brief things and news. So why don't we why don't we jump right in, Garrett? Yeah, all unexpected bits of news. I'll say. Well, I guess not the trailer so much, but the other things are definitely things I was not seeing happening, seeing coming. Yes, like, but I mean, starting off with the Wandavision's Matt Shackman is helming the new Star Trek film, and so yeah, that's uh, that's coming out of nowhere, huh? Uh, one, I'm surprised they're doing. Star Trek Four. Um, oh, is I'm this really in curious. the JJ verse? Yeah, it's it's the JJ verse. It's oh still my he's God. producing and everything. Still, I'm very curious to see what percentage of that cast they bring back and like where to go. I mean, beyond did you see? You seen any of those I, JJ ones? I, I've seen like the first three black and white episodes of the original Star Trek, and that is it. Never saw any of the movies. Didn't see Next Gen. None of that. Well, um, you could you could go in pretty blind to the J.J. Abrams ones, that, that, I think. I, I think that's pretty... what I hear. I, I, I would be... I've heard they're good, at least the majority of them, and, you know, if they're, st- the if they're still chugging along... The majority of them being the first one. Oh, do they really go... <laughs> do they really take a dive after that first one? I don't... There are a lot of Into Darkness defenders out there. I'm not a fan. Um, but I mean, beyond was which is the third one was fine. It's just, it feels like an episode of Star Trek. It doesn't feel like a movie. <laughs> like, ah, I see. Um, and I was about to say, it certainly doesn't end that trilogy with any sort of finality or, or sense of like, this is the last of the JJ room or it, the third one's not even JJ rooms. So is it we, not? I but, thought he did yeah. all of them. No, he just did the first two. I should probably look up who did the third one to credit them properly. It was Justin Lin. Hey. Oh, no kidding. Of the Fast and the Furious. My God. Can't escape it. Every week, it's going to sink its way into at least news. And, man, I would expect that movie to be at least having more spectacle with Justin Lin at the helm. But, eh, whatever. So, I, I definitely can see them taking it in whatever direction they want. After that third one, like it's fu- like that, it's fine. It's not a bad movie, but it definitely doesn't feel like the end of that story. Ah, well, I guess apparently it's not quite the end of that story, and maybe this will revitalize that franchise. I know a lot of people are, you know, they were pretty tired of all the Star Wars after the end of uh, Rise of Skywalker, and you know we're keeping it alive with the the good TV shows. But I think Star Trek never really got as big of that second chance out there and i don't know i'd I'd be willing to jump into this uh franchise if i only have to watch the the four movies i guess instead of the entire multi multiple tv shows all the old movies all that stuff i hear discovery and picard are pretty good still but yeah i i think that they could take another crack at this this new reboot series i'm excited to see what Matt Shackman could do with that. I wasn't the biggest fan of WandaVision, but I do think there is some connective tissue there, definitely, especially with um, the time travel elements that this newer Trek trilogy kind of folds in sometimes. Oh, I had no idea time travel was even a factor in Star Trek, but I mean... It's not like a huge... It's only really in the first J.J. Abrams one, 
it doesn't factor that much into the other ones, except there's this sense a little bit of like, oh, there's a different version of this classic Star Trek character, you know. Okay, sure. A variant, if you will. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, I mean, I know WandaVision and Loki are very different, but WandaVision's got that weird, like, let's put a different spin on Vision's coffee cup, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, sure, I know what you mean, definitely. It's very, it's very extra-dimensional, as it were. But yeah, I like I like Star Trek. Um, and I like I'd, WandaVision. I'd like to see... <laughs> so, uh, get your peanut butter and my chocolate, Shane. <laughs> Here we go. We'll go We'll go off to the to the cinema. We'll go see the new Star Trek, whatever that comes out. Well, you know what we'll be seeing first? Ooh, lay it on me. Indiana Jones 5, starring Antonio Banderas. <laughs> As <which> is... Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's like my eight-year-old dream casting just came true if they put brendan fraser in this movie i will be <laughs> literally unstoppable oh man truly I, I same with me man i think antonio banderas i think he fits very well into the indie verse of just like older action guy i can imagine he's probably going to be a bad guy they they got to get somebody pretty well known like him to be to be a good bad guy right well, we've, we've definitely talked about this when talking about casting previously, which is in every James Bond movie, which is in every Indiana Jones movie, Spielberg has this ideology of like, and I know this isn't a Spielberg, Indiana Jones movie, but following the, the template, there's what Spielberg calls a champagne villain, who's like the villain who is classier and trying to outsmart Jones and ev- like the Belloc yeah sure of raiders and then you've got the villain who's like willing to get their hands dirty and is menacing and 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 violent like the and coat like hanger the nazi guy is that yeah is that him yeah tote tote god yeah so uh, yeah no, he... i i read the novelization thank you i i did too but i was like 10 years old man <laughs> so i could definitely see antonio banderas fitting into that champagne villain role especially if Boyd Holbrook could potentially be like the more menacing, get your hands dirty villain. Yeah, that's very true. I I would honestly love to see that. And I know there's a lot of like young Indiana Jones adventures where he's got like Latin American, you know, ties with different people and, you know, things that could definitely come back from the canon indie history past that, that Antonio Banderas could kind of fill that role. We don't. We still don't know what Indy Five is going to be about, right? I mean, uh, no. Like, they're, they've announced pretty much nothing. I know that it's set in 1969 because there was a set photo of like a newspaper banner or something talking about Apollo 11. Oh God, we're going back to aliens, folks. Here we go, Crystal Skull Two. <laughs> I that's, that's. I'd be into it. I liked the alien angle. Damn it. Mad Seamus <laughs> Come on, is it any is it any crazier than an Indian death cult or a or literally God exists? Is that is it crazier than God exists? I think it's more just that I, I don't think it fits tonally. It's it's more in that regard that it's too not weird. It's just such a different angle for Indiana Jones to take. It takes a lot of the mysticism out of it, too. Like, part of the the horror, the abject horror of the first three Indiana Jones films is, like, 
what kind of what power is this and why like <laughs> why does it work? But then it's like, oh no, it's just a spaceship. Well, I mean, you know, it's going. It's granted, Crystal Skull. They were they were moving away from the World Wars. They were going more into like Cold War space race, a little more sci fi ish on the back end, and I guess it was sci fi ish in the front end too, and all around because it's a damn alien. But I don't know. I think I think as a whole, that movie's not as bad as people say it is. Oh, I I will concede that point because I think the first. With the exception of the nuking the fridge, I think the first eh, like, I yeah, forty minutes are enjoyable. Like sure, yeah, the riding around in the university on the motorcycle. I liked, I liked the if he got out of that nuke town a little more practically, I would have loved that more. Just aesthetically, yeah, I, I think, think it's a great like cool place for Indiana Jones to be. The warehouse stuff is pretty solid. I yeah, think, oh actually. yeah, that's like, like straight out of Raiders. It's literally, it's literally straight out of Raiders. Yeah, truly. But you know, we got we got old Harrison still on the mend. I think I haven't heard that he's doing more stunts or anything. But I mean, I I think well they're back to shooting, so I don't think there was a delay. I but okay, they good. might have had to shuffle. You know, maybe there's a scene where Indiana Jones does a nice sit. <laughs> yeah, he's and, talking with Antonio Banderas from across a desk, maybe. And. Antonio Banderas is like, Indy, why don't you, why don't you show me your whip and your gun? And he goes, no. <laughs> yeah, he, they have a stirred argument where Indiana Jones says something smart and scowls, and he says like, goodbye, Doctor Jones, and sets him on fire, sets the room on fire. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'll, I'll just be, I'm good here for a while, you know. Yeah, exactly. An adult adult short round will kick the window in and like squirrel him away. Uh can we, can we? Do you think we'll get that? Do you think we'll ever no. get that? No. I think someday we will get it. I think someday we'll get everything because Disney will milk every IP for every single. Well, I at least want one big callback of either short round or like just give me Shia again because I'm an idiot, but. I also want Shia back. <laughs> if he just comes in at the end, do the little stinger like they were going to do at the end of Crystal Skull where he's picking up his hat, flip the script on that. He, Harrison Ford's not doing another one, right? There's no possible way. I don't think they'll kill him. Just give it to give it to Mutt Williams. No, I would love to see. I would love to see Short Round. That would be... Oh, yeah, Short Round and Mutt Williams' buddy adventure where they both want the like role of Indiana Jones's son basically the 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 greaser and the and the short round <laughs> oh yeah you can't and come up with anything to describe short round without sounding they're terrible they're throwing they're throwing the hat into into trees they're throwing the hat into trees they're throwing the hat into trees um and the government has a new Indiana Jones that they're bringing out <laughs> And they're like, this is the new Indiana Jones. And Short Round's like, it's Dr. Jones to you. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, throw it on Disney Plus and you got a weekly watcher right here. Coming soon to Pop Culture Reference. Our new segment, Nuking the Fridge. <laughs> Honestly, not a bad pitch. That's this what we... is nonsense. Antonio Banderas, <laughs> he's wonderful. I love Zorro so much. I love Puss in Boots so much. I love other movies he's in <laughs> I just love him. He can do no wrong. And I'm thrilled that he's going to be in this movie. 
Yeah, me too. I I think it's a good fit. I'm I'm excited to see where they go with that. Um, maybe he'll be a good guy. We're kind of like already sure he might be the villain, but maybe he'll just maybe he'll be the fun partner that doesn't double cross him. He could be a Sala. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. He's 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 a very friendly guy. He could totally do that. Okay. Next up, we've got the first look at Disney Pixar's Turning Red in its new trailer, which looks. Like, I mean, it's, it doesn't, it's not in Canto or anything, <laughs> right. but, um, again, looks kind of derivative to me, but I think, I think the angle is still kind of a fun one. Yeah, I'm into it. Just like managing stress is obviously going to be the big theme along with like, again, another Disney thing about like your overbearing family just loves you don't push them away children and you know it there's gonna be a teen wolf moment where the mom is gonna be like see i turned into a giant panda too it's okay (laughs) and you just gotta be good at math because that's what this mom cares about or whatever in the in the trailer i i've seen some criticism of disney and pixar have been coming over under a little bit of heat for like cultural appropriation and a little bit of stereotyping you mean first um the luca the two leads in luca neither were neither of them were italian oh and this is a film about um an, an an asian child who feels the need to be really good at math and is under the under the watchful eye of an overbearing mother and that once again, that Disney is, uh, and Pixar are coming under flack for some accusations of cultural appropriation, which don't, don't seem entirely unfounded. Yeah. I, I was kind of getting the, the weird feeling watching it where like the only it's cause it's a very, it's a very short trailer. And really the only three things you know are that this, you know, main young Asian girl character has the overbearing family pressure to do math and then is associated with uh, panda bears, which is, you know, the th- just like three massive stereotypes. And I feel like unless they're gonna, I don't know, maybe trickle out another trailer that shows some more substance behind the, the curtain there, that it, it might just feel a little weird in general when it comes out. Now, to be fair, this is um, directed by the same filmmaker who directed Bao, who is... Asian American. So, I mean, not that Luca wasn't directed by an Italian guy. Right. But I do think, you know, a big priority that Pixar seems to be talking about lately is letting filmmakers tell stories that are personal to them more than, like, ever before. Almost autobiographical stories. Sure, yeah. I'm sure, and yeah. so, if, if she is deriving this story from her own experience, then obviously I think there is a lot of that pressure alleviated from like Pixar is just, is, is appropriating left and right. And it's like, on the one hand, sure. Like I, Disney is Disney, but on the other hand, like giving, um, women and underrepresented cultures and ethnicities, the opportunity to, make a Disney, you know. Oh, yeah. Is what is where we should be heading. Yeah, and honestly, like, you kind of mentioned it before, I think 
for whatever reason, this trailer spoke to me at least a little bit more than Encanto for like the potential to have a little bit more going on than what meets the eye. Maybe it's just because this trailer we saw for Turning Red was like more of the initial teaser stuff going on, but I don't know. I especially also because I loved Bao. I, I don't know anybody who saw Bao and didn't really enjoy it a lot. It seems similar theming of, you know, parentage and you know, growing up in what looks like Canada, I think. It looked like Toronto again, just like in Bao and kind of that um, Asian immigrant in Canadian society. We're obviously going to get a much bigger look at that from... Because I doubt it's just math that's causing stress in this young panda girl, but... What? I can't believe that, Seamus. Yeah, you know, there's there's more than what we're seeing here. We're, we, we got plenty of time, and like you said, I think this is going to beat out Encanto for me, at least in... I like the concept. It's Teen Wolf, but it's Pixar. It's fun. I, I Yeah, I think this teaser was not a super good teaser. Yeah. And I like the concept, and I like the director, and still, if I saw this in a theater, if I saw this trailer before Space Jam A New Legacy. Um, I don't know if I'd want to go see it. Now, presumably I don't have any standards because I'm in the theater seeing Space <laughs> Jam A New Legacy. But, you know, I, I just don't think that teaser sells it super well. Yeah, me neither. We're, we're, I think we're on the same page here. It's got potential. I The fun concept, but they, they need to give us a little more, maybe. Our last bit of news, Valve has announced their new handheld console in quotes <laughs> um <laughs> a what which they're calling the steam deck it's essentially a computer that is the size of a nintendo switch that can run steam and other operating systems it's going to be releasing in december 2021 for 399 399 uh with 64 gigabytes and a 7 inch screen so really very similar in terms of, like, size and price even to the Nintendo Switch. And, you know, obviously the control scheme, the design of the uh, console itself, it looks like a Switch. It seems like it acts as a Switch with the, you know, the joysticks. I don't think anything detaches, or I assume you could also plug it into a television or a computer as well. But, you know, this is... I'm hoping this isn't just another in the long line of Valve Steam hardware that they've released over the last, like, five years that has flopped pretty much immediately as it's hit the market. Uh, I think at a time where people are maybe considering the new OLED Switch that we talked about last week, and now that this has come up, I think that it might hopefully last a little longer. I think the concept is very cool. I... I don't know if we can say how well it's going to run some of these very large and intricate games, but I'm I've got my fingers yeah. crossed. I'm hoping it's it's going to be good. They show it in the in the announcement running like control and stuff, and I mean I it's not that I don't have faith in in Valve to put out a quality product. It's just that I don't know how much mass market appeal this has because I think a huge part of the Switch's popularity is the fact that it is simultaneously a handheld console and a console that you can hook up to your TV. And 
obviously, if you want a PC, buy a PC for gaming. But I just don't know. Like, I think the uh, the appeal of having PC gaming on the go seems marketable. But I don't know how it's going to fare against the Switch. I Definitely, this doesn't seem like something that kids are going to want. Especially because if you're installing, like, Windows on it, how does that even work? <laughs> yeah, I... Um, it does seem like it's kind of just like a glorified tablet, but if it's more dedicated to the, the gaming end of everything and they can put that processing power into fairly decent playability on some of the larger stuff, like you mentioned Control, uh, you know, there's it's got potential. I, I've heard a lot about how they're already confirming, like emulator downloads and like other stuff like you said different operating systems that can achieve a lot more customizability in people that aren't uncomfortable getting into like the extra software that needs to be tinkered around with with something like that but oh yeah and i mean the fact that it is the fact that it's essentially a pc means that it's also every handheld console that you can emulate yeah you know like a game boy be... with a giant screen god that actually mm-hmm. sounds incredible I don't know. The control scheme looks really weird to me. All of the buttons are like crammed at the top, and they, it's got these two big track pads yeah, like, where the, the two, joystick should be. <laughs> the two weird like um, rubber squares that are on there. Because it doesn't even look like the the Steam controller, where it's got like the, those concave. Yeah, the circular weird uh, finger joystick replacements, which I hear are really good and more responsive than normal joysticks if you get used to them but i don't know it just the control layout looks weird to me it looks like an old sega handheld where it's just this big black box super like angly and clunky on every surface but i mean if it plays games that's all that matters right yeah if you have fun and you enjoy it and it's worth the price tag to you then it's worth the price tag to you uh, yeah, honestly, three ninety nine for I think that I think you can get uh larger storage for more money, but the three ninety nine is the base one with sixty four gigs, and that's not a terrible price point for if it's like genuinely a pretty powerful computer when you get your hands on it. But I guess we're gonna have to wait till December to find that out. Yeah, I, I'm eagerly anticipating reviews. I don't think e- either of us are probably gonna pick this up, but uh, yeah, not quite. But I mean, if it goes the way of the Steam Link and the Steam Box, we'll be able to pick it up for like five dollars in a year so we'll see how yeah, that that's goes true. i saw a steam controller half price books the other day for like 60 bucks and i was like who is buying a steam <laughs> controller <laughs> yeah nobody uh i think they literally started selling them for a dollar a couple years ago during a sale to just be like we have warehouses of this stuff man we got to get this out of here <laughs> i'm assuming that this is when when gabe newell was talking about there's big news coming for for Steam on consoles, I'm assuming that's what he was talking about, right? Yeah, that was uh, the biggest disappointment when I made that connection myself of, like, ever getting Half-Life Alex for PSVR or, like, a Steam client for any kind of upgrade like that. I mean, a man can dream, but I... Yeah, not what I was expecting, truly. Even if we could just get, like, if they would just remaster the the port... Not even remaster. Just put the portals on... (laughs) Just put the portals yeah. on PS4. I don't Please, care. Please, just, yes, give us a port, remaster the orange box. Like, we'll buy it, man. Please. That's, honestly, like, I mean, um, there's Half-Life uh, Mesa, is that what it's called? Black Mesa? Which is a, like, yes. fan-made, but officially licensed. Like, Unreal Engine re- rebuilt the original Half-Life? I, w- I would pay $20, at least. So, where did this start? Uh, the... Uh, Steam the Deck? Nintendo Switch? The yeah, Steam Deck? exactly. God. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, we're not going to get it. If it's good, I'll be super happy if that means that Valve can start producing a lot more viable hardware from time to time instead of like generating flops over and over. So I, I truly wish the best for this, and it makes me very happy that they're using control as a way to show like, hey, look how powerful this is. This game's great and dope, and you should all play it on the Steam Deck. You should play it on the Steam Deck. You should play it on PS Plus. You should play it on Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> I don't know if it's on Game Pass or not. Don't don't quote me on that. Is that it, is that it for news? Our I, long meandering news yeah, segment that I, should have taken five minutes. Truly, I think I think that's it for the news. Now I think it's time to move on to our final Loki Doki segment of for a long time and. Moving on to discuss the Loki finale. The Loki season one finale. Spoilers, spoilers, oh. spoilers. Right up top, I want to call out spoilers for the entire season of Loki, including the finale. If you have not watched Loki or you care to or whatever, do not listen past this point. Because right off the bat, Seamus, we just alluded to it in our transition. If you knew going into this finale that there would be a season two, would that have shifted your perspective? Yeah, honestly, for me, 100%. I feel like I, for, you know, WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I've been fully expecting these to be, like, very self-contained and very uh, one-off seasons of shows that kind of act as as though they were movies, I guess, like installments that matter as much as some of these movies anyway. So this, you know, this kind of blows that wide open and means that Loki is going to continue to be so damn important. Yeah, I think viewing this as a series, I mean, I have been so big on Loki so Mm -hmm. far. I think that's been evident in our Loki-Doki talks, which I'm realizing the only episode of Loki that was not (laughs) the main segment of its own episode was two. Yeah, just because of the way that ended up working out. But I, anyway, I've been really enjoying this series, and I think so far it had been structured like a miniseries structured, you know, because miniseries are much closer to being structured like long films than actual TV series, because TV series, usually, like multiple season TV series, usually need like a story engine and an ability to renew its uh premise over and over and Mm -hmm. over again and these marvel shows have been structured more like movies where it's like okay we've got the problem we need to solve the problem right sure yeah and definitely loki it's almost like it has a backdoor plot engine it's like oh the initial problem is like we've got you know loki's here and he's got to catch sylvie and it's whatever you know it's whatever's going on there sure yeah but in the background it's like oh yeah, the TVA and interdimensional travel are the perfect story engine. Because I'm, you just... Yeah, man. Pluck, yeah. So, going into this, I definitely had very different expectations than what the finale we got was. And that's not just in terms of content, that's in terms of the way that things would be progressed, the way the story would end or not end, I guess. And I know it's Marvel, so they're always going to have to leave stuff open for more. But I think that I don't want to sound like, oh, it's subverted my expectations, so it's bad. Because that's not (laughs) what that means. But the fact that I went into this assuming it was going to be the series finale. 
which is kind of on me, but that's the precedent Marvel set with yeah, the shows. Exactly. That's that was kind of what I was saying of just like it very well could have been. And I mean, even we were talking before about how um it kind of seems like that the second season might have been more of a last minute shift in what they were trying to do with this show because of how, you know, absolutely crazy everybody is for for Loki. Yeah, I I'm very curious. I think this is the one that they were betting on more than the others. I really do think that this is the one that they seem to have put the most money into, the most advertising into, I'd say. Sure, yeah. It's definitely the most popular character out of the five characters that have been featured as lead roles on these Disney Plus shows. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, like, the second most popular is, like, the Winter Soldier, and I would say that's not even, like, a close second. That's a way down second, I'd say. Yeah, that's very true. And, I mean, like, you know... Loki, I guess, has been around for the longest out of any of these characters in general. I guess Bucky was in the first Avenger, but he wasn't really the Winter Soldier. Vision was in the first Iron Man, Seamus? Oh, you go to hell. That's Jarvis. But no, I I completely get what you're saying. I think it is this combination of he has been around the longest. He's been in a lot of movies. (laughs) Yeah, he's been in Um, so many movies. And Tom Hilson's a, a super cutie that people swoon over, and why wouldn't they? Oh, what? I mean, yeah, obviously. That have you seen the supercut of all of his hair flips over the series? It, I can't escape it. Shane. This is the <laughs> only thing I see. Ah, that's the only thing I want to see. He does it so naturally. He really does. Because I feel like most other characters, I wouldn't notice it. And it's not that I don't know that he's doing it, but it just feels so organic. Yeah, truly. Then again, I I also saw the time lapse of him getting his hair applied every day of like how he, they the painstaking process for that wig of that beautiful hair. I'm sure that's in his face all the time. I'm sure he does that naturally after like two decades of playing Loki with that hair. Do you think do you think they're gonna ever give him like a Thor Ragnarok? Oh. Like we're gonna cut his hair because I think he looks a lot better with with shorter hair personally. I think maybe if. I'm thinking if we start season two of Loki where he's like undercover at the whatever the new TVA is and he has to be like a quote unquote analyst and he's maybe got to get a little buzz. But I mean, that hair is so much a part of his look. I feel like even more so than Thor's long hair. Oh, yeah. I feel definitely like... more than Thor. So I I, it would be kind of a big upset in the, the Tumblr community would melt down. <laughs> Man, I don't know. <laughs> Does Tumblr still exist? I was going to say, did, did I just sound like a grandpa right now? Just like, oh, back in my day. Oh, <laughs> uh, not a gift set, Seamus. What about our, <laughs> our hair flip gift set? Oh, God. Oh, man. Well, why don't we... I want to... Let's jump into the, the reveals, starting with my snipe of Miss Minutes being the <laughs> big bad evil guy all along. <laughs> well, kind of. Yeah, come on. You, you were right about her getting the evil monologue. After a legitimately, like, I nearly yelled the morning I watched this episode, she jump scares the crap out of you in this episode. Even even more viral than the hair flip is the Miss Minutes jump scare. <laughs> yeah, so many memes about Miss Minutes being, like, the new Duolingo owl, just, like, gonna slit your throat <laughs> for some reason. Ugh... <laughs> oh. Miss Minutes, she'll be back for season two. That you know how at the end of the Marvel movies, do they still do this? They used to do this where they like they're like they do the James Bond thing where they're like, 
Captain America will return in the Avengers. Well, yeah. Well, um, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but it happened in this episode. Did, do they... Well, I think I mean, they, the, do... the stamp says Loki will return in Oh, does it say two. Loki will return in season two? Okay. I, think, I think so, yeah. They should have said Miss Minutes will return. <laughs> oh, I, I only wish. You know who? You know what else I saw in the last credits for this finale? Eugene, gosh dang, Cordero gets his yeah. billing in the finale. He hasn't been I in was, an episode since episode two, man. I, I was wondering, okay, when Loki gets back to the TVA at the very end of this episode, okay. we're just going to be bouncing around because everybody's seen this episode. Yeah, um, if you're listening to this, you've seen this awesome episode. I thought maybe one of the characters that was running through, one of the agents, you know, that was right. running through sounded maybe like Casey, so I wondered if they had a second of him, but I also thought, like, maybe they would have pulled a It's a Wonderful Life, like, Casey, you know it's me, right, Casey? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I have, I have, I mean, it's not really a theory, more of, like, a wish list of, like, ah, God, this is kind of stepping on some big Owen Wilson stuff this episode. I mean, maybe we should just go to that first. No, no, talk about it, Seamus. Again, everybody's seen this episode. All That's right. listening, presumably. When, when Loki's getting off to, is in this new TVA, whatever it is, what if Casey's the only one that remembers him? Because <gasps> Kang doesn't think that he needs to be mind-wiped or change his reality or whatever. What if he's the buddy? What if he's the guy? I mean, I'm not convinced that this isn't an alternate reality. I think you're pretty set. You and I were texting about this. I think you're set on like this is the one TVA and and the time travel it changed everything and um it's a Planet of the Apes style reveal where yeah. every, not, everything's different now. And... I mean, I don't know. Didn't the, doesn't the TVA not exist on the timeline itself? Like, how could it be affected by the split? I don't know. I don't know how much of BS that is. I don't know what kind of you know. Oh I right. Do think, yeah. I do think that the TVA exists outside of time in that they don't age when they're there because people on the internet were like, apparently Ravona's only, only been with the TVA for two years because when they go to her flashback, it's in 2018. And I was like, yeah, but if the TVA exists quote outside of time, then she could have been there for eons. Like that's not how time travel works. I think that's exactly what she says to Mobius in the last episode. It's like eons of friendship. Like they've been there for, for a damn while. Like they've been doing stuff. Yeah. I think that, People are misinterpreting that, but basically what I'm saying is all everything we've been told about the Timekeepers now that they have the and, and the TVA and everything now that they have the 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 He Who Remains reveal and the Man Behind the Curtain and all that I think they have enough wiggle room to just make the rules whatever they need them to be for season two. Yeah, probably because it could be like yeah he lied about that we're actually in the void at the end of time just like everybody else. When you prune them, we're not. They're, they're they're they just go outside. Yeah, sure. I mean, I wouldn't even hate that. That that works for me. Or it could be, you know, TVA versus TVA war. We get like all the different universes of the TVA clash well, run by different kings. Does appear to be real, doesn't it? Like, yeah, they they, they keep calling they it. Line about that. They keep calling this new thing the second multiverse war. So I mean, well, I guess we get a explicit story from our boy he who remains about what the first one was even about again i don't necessarily trust anything that he says and i think that the writers have left themselves a lot of room to do whatever they want to do with that but basically and we're going to talk about this more in our pop culture reference 
it seems like he is a variant of Kang the Conqueror, Nathaniel Richards, who, as he says in the episode, discovered all of the multiple timeline versions of himself and went to war for supremacy. Kind of the superior Loki idea right at the very beginning of this show on a way more oh, brutal scale. Yeah, I think that's definitely some foreshadowing. And this episode is all—it's all talking. This episode is literally all talking. Oh, there's a there's a sword fight. Yeah, and a smooch. It's a, it's a very emotional sword fight, granted, but I just—I feel like again, I'm trying to reconcile my expectation that this was going to be the end of the story with the fact that. It's not told like the end of the story. It's told like the end of a season. And because of that, they have to do a lot of, like, exposition where there should just be payoff because they're like, oh, now it's time to set up the new season. Because, yeah, we were pretty, at least I was pretty sure that whoever was in charge of the TVA was going to be somebody we know in universe or at mm-hmm. least have way bigger familiarity of before going in there and like you said it was kind of the introduction of exposition to fill in all of these blanks to try to kind of generate that satisfaction of getting the big reveal when it was more of just like like all right we have a whole big new variable here that is now inserted in every aspect of what the mcu is going to be from here on out for a long while which in a so in a mini series so in a mini series Having that character be somebody you have already established is essential, you know, because mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to just introduce a new character out of nowhere in the in the series finale. So Agatha all along, you of know? course. But in a TV season, it's common, I think, to set up next season's villain, the overarching villain in the season finale. You know, uh, they br- like. I I can think of countless shows that do that formula, and it works. But this show wasn't necessarily set up, I didn't feel like, to cater to that. It was set up to feel like, okay, the first five episodes, are gonna you're going to think it's a miniseries, you're going to think you're getting the whole story. And then the last episode, again, we're like rushing to set up the new villain. And especially because we know that, I mean, Kang has been confirmed for... Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, Quantumania for quite some time now at this point, so it feels like it's a strange middle ground between, like, having that new big bad be taking his, like, place in the crosshairs of what the MCU is going to be versus, like, Kang is also going to be the main focus of Loki going forward. God knows when, I mean, season two is even going to come out, if it's even going to be... About Kang specifically, maybe it'll just be chasing another variant himself, but it's it's kind of a strange way to to cap this one off. Do you think I I do you think if he if Loki was gonna pop up in Spider Man or Multiverse or something, they would have said Loki will return in Doctor Strange? Ooh, that's a good question because hmm, that's a good question. I'm not sure, because we've got at least a couple movies before Doctor Strange, right? It's um, Shang-Chi and then... Spooderman. Spooderman. 
So like, it's very well. It could be like a uh, was it was it Doctor Strange that had the Ragnarok teaser at the end? Yeah, it could be end. something like that. They could just toss in Loki in an after credit scene and be like, Loki will return in blank. Not necessarily meaning that the next thing is going to be the thing that he needs to be in. Because I feel like those are the most exciting ones. Is when whoever will return in a movie that's not their movie. You know what I mean? Like that sure, feels so yeah. much more that is exciting like, than ooh, like yeah. than like oh yeah, of course Doctor Strange will be back in Doctor Strange too. God, I can't wait. Like I could definitely see there being a uh, a great buddy crossover between Loki and Doctor Strange just trying to clean up the mess that is the shattered dimensions and branching timelines. And Loki won't even have a grudge because he won't even remember being falling for for an hour or whatever. Or that means that Strange could pull that bit again and it'll be great. <laughs> it'll be <laughs> even, even funnier. Be for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I really wanted to like this finale, and I just wasn't super satisfied with it. But, um, I mean, you can't tell me you weren't just shattered by Mobius was, asking him who he was. That broke I mean, me, like, dude. I was surprised. I think, that's the thing. There's a difference between being, like, you know, not everything is, like, I this is the best episode ever, the worst episode ever. I was still engaged. I still enjoyed it. I was still surprised. I was still in for the ride. But it's still like I was kind of like this was a lot of talking for a finale, and I don't mind talking. I'm not trying to be like talking's boring. <laughs> Where are those sword fights? Because most of the show has been talking, really, and that's oh, yeah. what I like about it. And like. I don't care really that Mobius didn't get his jet ski or whatever, even though, again, if this were a finale, that's the expectation you would have, like a series finale. So that's not the kind of stuff I'm upset about, even though I do wish Mobius had gotten his jet ski. It'll eventually happen. I'm still pretty confident on that. Though I will say, I mean, they took some swings with the talking, especially Jonathan Major's performance is... Oh my god, it was awesome. A swing. I, it, not all of it quite worked for me, but I thought he was genuinely engaging from the second he, like, walked on the scene. I mean, to he me, was... I was expecting such a, I was expecting, like, a booming voice and, like, a grandiose reveal, like a man sitting on a throne ready to, like, destroy anybody coming into his path. So maybe it was just my... My my surprise to the demeanor of He Who Remains and how it was kind of more like trickstery stuff than we've gotten from Loki for the entire season, pretty much. Like the trickstery stuff got all done at once at the end here. I love that you were like, you know who I want behind the timekeepers? Just another timekeeper. Just give yeah, me. Yeah, I, I, I'm <laughs> such a sucker for some reason that I was just like, yeah, oh yeah, timekeepers. I trust that implicitly. Oh, timekeepers are androids. It's gotta be, <laughs> gotta be just three timekeepers in one, right? Like that's that makes sense. I did read that he did all the voices for the timekeepers, Jonathan Major. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I do think his performance in this as he who remains. Is very in keeping with that Wizard of Oz theme. 
Yeah. Though, of like, the wizard, you know, is this big, booming orb man, and then he's just a bumbling scientist when he gets pulled out, you know. And it kind of has that feel to it. I wanted a little bit more like, I think th- th- it's clear that they were trying to be like, this guy's on the edge of sanity. He's just been doing this for millions right, of years. Yeah. I didn't quite feel that. I didn't quite feel like him teetering on the edge of sanity. I am I was just like, when he does that, when there's that switch between like smug, coy confidence to like the threshold of, all right, now I have no idea what's going to actually happen. And I have this like scared, nervous like energy for the first time since the doors opened i've had this weird like concrete smile on my face and now i'm you know i i just i felt that so maybe it's just jonathan majors being a an absolute champion out there but like that got me that got me pretty well that see you soon little snyder mark ii right at the end made me that is really good yeah loved it loved it no i mean i think jonathan majors is a great actor i really liked him in to five bloods um i understand that lovecraft country is amazing and i should really get on that especially if they're not doing a second season so oh yeah i've heard that show is great too i'm trying i had something i'm also not sure about what like the resolution is hard for me to swallow in this of like i don't really understand how kang is so inevitable how these variants are so you know not Thanos or anything. He's inevitable. But <laughs> Well, I mean, I think there was a pretty interesting, like when Sylvie and Loki are fighting about what to do with his offer and like what to do moving forward, if they should go through their plan, there was that, gr- like they make us not sure if he can be trusted and believed in the way that he speaks about his variants and the multiverse and all that. And I mean, regardless of everything that they felt and heard and kind of feeling like they were being tricked all along, Sylvie doesn't really care anyway, which makes me think that there's going to be a lot more to do with her and maybe why she was pruned in general. Like, we still don't even know about that. And he who remains motivations behind doing all the things that would have led up to that in the first place. Here's where my my problem comes in, is this show presents the choice as a binary. It is either kill Kang and take over the TVA, whatever, you know, like um, let the multiverse run rampant, whatever they're going to do. Or keep free will at bay and, like, do not let the timeline branch. Do not let people have their own choices, their own humanity. And that seems antithetical. Like, that's what the series ultimately poses as the correct choice is like you shouldn't have messed with with time morty <laughs> you should have <laughs> um you should have left it alone and just let the, everybody let them cut the branches off like that's what it poses as like the correct choice or else kang's gonna take over which seems so antithetical to everything the show had established previous which is the humanity of the variants, the fact that people should have free will, all this stuff. So ultimately, like, the stance of the series as the season ends now, obviously Kang will be defeated in phase whatever. Five? Jesus. <laughs> um, but as it stands now, it stands in favor of 
yeah, Loki should have should have just kept free will uh, on the DL. I mean, uh, maybe we flip flopped a little bit here because I trust that kind of like that is kind of served up to us on a platter there in, in this last episode. But my perception of all of it now, having digested it, is like there kind of couldn't have been any other choice than to like fight this multiversal war for free will because like they're the whole series is showing how like important it is despite all obstacles despite despite all odds how like to fight for that free will is the more important thing and i think that sylvia achieves that in a very sad way but so you think that that the show agrees with sylvia's decision and and does and loki is in the wrong well i think that I mean, our our variant Loki that we've been following through this whole show has been in the dark the most out of everybody between... I guess the TVA was still pretty in the dark, too, but, like, Sylvie, the Timekeepers... Honestly, Renslayer has a lot of unresolved stuff from this last episode that they're gearing up that, like, she's gonna have her own kind of, like, arc about why she's there and what she wants to fight for, and I think it's kind of par for the course that the ending would have kind of a devastating moment for our variant Loki, but not necessarily meaning that he has, like, lost the war, per se. Alright, you've turned me around on it a little bit. Yeah, a little bit? Well, I'm I'm happy yeah. here. Granted, okay. it's... Yeah, no, that, no that, that feels like it has a little bit more sense. I've been able to kind of make that conclusion work a little bit more. I, and... I need to rewatch, and I meant to rewatch for today, and I just didn't end up having time. No, same here. I, I, I'm, I'm still very shaky on everything. They, like you said, they geared up everything to make us be like ready for that sweet finale ping in our brain of like, oh, wrap up, thank God. But literally everything they did was just full speed ahead, driving yeah. to season two. I mean, nothing got resolved at all. No wrap up, only amp up. Exactly. We got people running off to do their own thing. We got memory loss. There's alternate universes. The Statue of Liberty's on a beach. You blew it up. <laughs> damn you, you damn dirty apes. Uh, you've got the weird Man of Steel little little magnetic sand statues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I was reading an interview with the production designer where they were talking about the idea of the Citadel beyond time, where he who remains is camped out. Right. Is the idea is that he carved all of it out of that asteroid. Sure. That's why all the walls and everything have that like gold veins that, yeah. running through them. I've also seen a lot of comparison about that gold vein with like the obsidian um stone all around it being compared a lot to the technology on the ship in the immortals trailer as well and how there might be some connections here and there the eternals who are the eternals the immortals The immortals is... are up on the moon seamus oh no <laughs> they re they really did release that show in imax Ooh. is that canon <laughs> that can't be canon I, it, right there's no they, possible they have way to... <laughs> They have to have been like, never mind, right? <laughs> that there's no chance. There's no chance. The way of the the way of the Netflix Marvel shows and Agents of Shield and Agent Carter and uh, Agent Carter. Agent Carter is in the. I canon, guess it must be, isn't it? 
but it ties in with Agents of Shield. Oh so that yeah, maybe is a not. Whole weird. But isn't Jar Jarvis is in Endgame or something? Doesn't that make it's something? It's all multiverse. They're just gonna be like, it's all the multiverse yeah, now. It, like, exactly. It's... They're gonna get Deadpool in there, full circle. Deadpool's gonna come in and say, "Stop thinking so hard about it, you idiots!" And then go off screen, and that's gonna be it. A lot of people are like, "See, look," in I guess in one of the. I just saw this recently. I guess in one of the episodes of Loki, you can see a woman coming through one of the, one of the time the the time doors. Sure. Being escorted. That. Oh, and it looks like, like Peggy, right? Peggy. Yeah, and I, I'm I like, remember that. I everybody's reading way too much into that. If they wanted it to be Peggy, they would have given her like the red hat and the everything like her iconic. Yeah, exactly. Look. So I think people are too like, oh, it's an Easter egg. And I'm like, no, it's a TV show. <laughs> yeah. They, if they wanted to pull an Easter egg, they do. It is obvious as the ones in like episode five or whatever it was where everything was an Easter egg. Or just like they were like, oh, look at this sick. E-. Somebody was like, look at this sick Easter egg. And it was Kang's line or not Kang. He who remains line about like, I don't know what happens after this point. And then um, Tilda Swinton's line and Doctor Strange about like, I, can, I can't see past this moment. And it's like, it's how is that an Easter egg? Those line. Are, they're just similar lines about <laughs> oh, completely God. different scenarios. <laughs> oh, boy. People people are thirsty for anything, man. Black Widow is not doing it for them. They need those connective tissues. Well, I mean, Black Widow really isn't doing it for them. <laughs> yeah, you have, yeah. I know you haven't seen it yet, Seamus. Oh, I know. I've been hearing. I've been hearing plenty about, about that. But it mostly, I'm, I, we are going to talk about it, and this isn't really the place, but just the fact that yeah, I do understand that because Black Widow has almost no connective tissue to the rest of the MCU, which I don't necessarily, like, I don't see that as a reason for things to exist, you know, kind of how I feel about the whole cinematic universe Sure, thing, yeah. But at least justify this movie by setting something up with it. <laughs> <laughs> you would have think they would have that down by now, if anything, but... Yeah. Oh, Black um, Widow we'll will return time, but... in Loki Season 2. Yeah. Pull her out of the mul. They're gonna pull Tony Stark out of the multiverse. They're gonna pull. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, they already pulled Gamora out of time. So. Oh yeah, that's true. Wait, so are they not gonna get in trouble? I know the event. What the Avengers did was all sanctioned, but is the TVA cool with Peter Quill just pulling his girlfriend out of time? I guess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that didn't didn't screw with anything too much. I guess. I said, yeah, yeah. Well, the TVA is crumbling anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I read a theory, which I actually kind of like this, which is, what if within the TVA, there are just a multiple of all the different variants? Like, there are variants oh, of the variants. Oh, hell yeah, that would be cool. I'd be into that. It, it wouldn't explain the giant um, Kang statue. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, We're changing it up. It's We, we o- exclusively reference the Mark Wahlberg plan. <laughs> yes, dude. The best one. Never mind. <laughs> Alright, we need to wrap this up. We're talking about Mark Wahlberg again. We gotta get out of here. Again? Did we talk about it before? We talked about it last week. Transformers. Oh, no! It's the Mark Wahlberg is... Fast and the Furious podcast. We really are descending into just, like, <laughs> what is the worst stuff we can talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, truly. <laughs> it's the stupidest, most problematic things. We need to do Citizen Kane again next week just to wash our hands. <laughs> yeah, just to balance it out. Oh, God. So, yeah, that wraps us up for Loki Dokis for Season 1. We'll be back someday with Loki Doki Season 2. 
yeah, hopefully we'll actually get to do the segment Loki Doki instead of just having it in our awesome main segment. And if you are curious about the future of the MCU, the history of Kang the Conqueror, do not worry, we've got that coming up right now on our Pop Culture Reference. The very topic of this week's Pop Culture Reference will deal with the Loki finale. If you're not caught up on the sixth episode of Loki, consider this your official spoiler warning. Going into this week's Pop Culture Reference, we're talking about Kang the Conqueror. The character of Kang the Conqueror is one of Marvel Comics' more formidable and storied supervillains, with his first appearance being in an Avengers comic in 1964. But incarnations of the character dating back to the Fantastic Four comic started in 1963. In the comics, the character began life as a 31st century scholar named Nathaniel Richards, descendant of Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. After rediscovering time travel technology developed by Victor Von Doom, Richards traveled back in time to ancient Egypt, assuming the role of Pharaoh Rama Tut. He continued to travel throughout time, assuming various villainous identities, opening timelines to have the Avengers combat alternate versions of themselves, and even eventually wound up in the 41st century, discovering a war-torn Earth that he took over using their own advanced weaponry, officially dubbing himself Kang the Conqueror. Kang has ties to several important aspects of the new Loki Disney Plus series, including the Time Variance Authority, the Cloud Monster Eliath, and Ravona Renslayer, with whom he is romantically involved with in the comics. Jonathan Major's role in the season 1 finale of Loki is very strongly hinted to be a Kang variant, as his backstory aligns closely with that of Nathaniel Richards, and the classic 1960s era Kang the Conqueror outfit can be seen in his hologram backstory. Major's character also mentions several variants of himself, many being dangerous. In the comics, not only is Kang a dangerous villain, but he has several evil variants, including Immortus and Scarlet Centurion. In addition to his appearance on Loki, Jonathan Majors is slated to appear as the official, true Kang the Conqueror in 2023's Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. It has also been confirmed that Marvel is currently developing a Fantastic Four movie. Perhaps Kang's connections to Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom could help introduce those characters. Which, something that I was reading this morning that I hadn't even considered Seamus, is the possibility that the Fantastic Four, specifically Reed Richards, in this new MCU could potentially be African-American. That'd be very interesting. I mean, there's plenty of awesome ways that they could do that, especially having a very clean slate with Fantastic Four to do really anything they wanted to. Uh, that, yeah, that'd be very interesting. I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about how if the true Kang the Conqueror might not even be on screen until Quantumania, uh, will Loki Season 2 have just, like, a ton of different Kang variants trying to be the superior Kang? Or is it kind of gonna be, like, a lesser version of Kang will pop up in every other movie to be, you know, put down by a, a new hero? Bold of you to assume that... Loki season two is coming out before Quantum Mania. Oh God, yeah, I guess that's my own wishful thinking. James is like a year and a half, maybe more. <laughs> oh, God, I really am Mr. Poopy Butthole, aren't I? <laughs> this is, I can't. This is also like the the last two weeks we've mentioned Rick and Morty more on this show <laughs> than we have in the entire series coming up to it combined. Weird, weirdly enough, I'm rewatching them right now, but you're the one who keeps bringing it up. <laughs> you like keep quoting it. 
I think, I mean, and I don't think it's that similar to Loki, but I do think it has enough connective tissue, especially with Michael Waldron, you know, writing for both shows. Yeah. That it just does pop into my brain. It doesn't, it doesn't deal with similar themes or even really similar storylines. It just has like similar sci-fi concepts at play. Yeah, just the just variants themselves is like pretty much what every other Rick and Morty is about anyway, so but yeah, I I'm, I'm very curious as well, Seamus, about how many Kang variants will show up if we'll see other villainous versions of Kang potentially even before Kang himself. Like I think that Rama Tut could very easily show up in Doctor Strange. I think that's definitely oh, a Oh, hell yeah. Also, it makes me wonder if Kang because people are speculating that Kang is going to be the Thanos of this new wave or whatever. Yeah, that's pretty much what I already uh, put in my head. I don't I don't know if that how, you know, grounded that is because uh, the only confirmation we have is presumably he'll be back in season 2 of Loki and Quantum Mania. We don't know what the rest of it's going to deal with. I think that there is a lot so many people are like, "Oh, WandaVision's definitely tying directly into Multiverse of Madness." <laughs> right. like, yeah, I'm sure Wanda will be in that, but well, I didn't. I don't think Wandavision set up anything that necessarily is going to tie into Multiverse of Madness. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of people are willing to assume that there are bigger connections at play than there necessarily are. All that being said, I do wonder if this is all like if Kang is ultimately going to be confronted in the Fantastic Four movie because that's just like a character that is so linked to them. The only, like, the only Fantastic Four villain I can think of that's more linked to the Fantastic Four is Doctor Doom. Yeah, truly. I think, I think, you know, there was tons of speculation going on now about, like, Fantastic Four and X-Men and how there's going to be any kind of clean or intelligible way to, like, insert them in. But I think if there's any way to do it, it's this. And, you know, they've obviously got a plan through however many years from now specifically they've got a kang plan through 2023 and if that means that the end credit scene is like hank pym being like oh my other old scientist friend reed richards that's you isn't it and then you know i i'm not gonna hate that do we think do we still think it's john krasinski is that the is that still the one one can hope and pray but i mean i don't know i mean i don't know i'm i'm definitely gonna have to think about it especially now the idea that Mr. Fantastic, I mean, not that Mr. Fantastic couldn't have always been black in this new version, but now I've got a lot to think about, about like who, who really would be the best Mr. Fantastic because the default has been John Krasinski so far. All right. We're going to come back next week with two good pitches for uh, a Mr. Fantastic. Is that our podcasting call for next week? Yes. That's, that's what we got going on. Podcasting call. Count on it. Sounds great. All right. Should, should we save the Rick Center, Seamus? Let's do it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. I'll start us off, Seamus, if you don't mind. No, go for it, man. What do you got this week? I just finished yesterday the second adult book in the Star Wars The High Republic series, The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. And I am really getting into this High Republic thing. Man, I am super impressed with it so far. I don't think you I don't think you've dared broach into that territory yet, am I correct about that? Yeah, not yet, but you're making it sound pretty fantastic so far. I've only read the the two adult novels that are out and I read the first YA novel, A Test of Courage, 
And Desert Cruise was, like, fine. It was cute and mm-hmm. whatever. It wasn't my favorite. It was a pretty standard, like, YA Star Wars book. But High Republic, uh, Light of the Jedi, and Rising Storm are two of the best Star Wars books I've ever read, truly. And they oh, wow. make me feel really excited about Star Wars in a new way, in a way that feels, like, pure, if that makes any kind of sense. <laughs> it's untouched by any kind of movies, really. We've only got a couple video games that are not even entirely canon anymore, so this it really is just a clean slate. And, I mean, there's still definitely, like, you know, Yoda pops up time and again, because it's, it's only set, like, 200 years before the Clone Wars. Oh, I thought it was way back. No, it's not Old Republic. It's it's High the Republic, Republic right. at the height of its like goodness, the height of when it was doing the best for the most people in the galaxy, when the Jedi were at their best. Right on. Okay. And I'm really, really digging it so far. The characters are engaging and likable and so human, so much more human than the Jedi you're used to from like the Clone Wars. Where Plo Koon is just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> It's really stoic monks. It's like, yeah, you're regal and stuff, but, like, be interesting, too. Yeah, and, I, I mean, I, the Clone Wars does a good job humanizing a lot of those Very random true. The Jedi. But this is from an era when the Jedi are so much less dogmatic, when there is versatility and variety within the Jedi Order, and it... In addition to that, it does a fantastic job focusing on its non-Jedi characters, especially Light of the Jedi, the first book, I think. But Rising Storm is just an escalation, elevation of that first book's story. I'm really excited to see where it goes. It ends off on a crazy cliffhanger, and the, the next book cannot come soon enough. I'll tell you what. Hell yeah, man. I Every time you bring up this new High Republic stuff, it gets me more excited and more interested to get you know dive into it, because it's obvious that this is a pretty big focus for where the story is being developed right now, and if it's as good as you say, then I, I really need to get my hands on a copy. I'd love to, to talk, you, talk yeah. to you about it, Seamus. Do a little book club? I mean, we could do that for the show, even. That Yeah, actually, I'd really like that. We should do... When... If you want to read the first two books, I think we should. When the third book comes out, we should do a. We should do an episode. I'm down. All right, I'm. I'm getting it on my Amazon list right now. Beautiful. Yeah. All but right. What well, do you got this week, Seamus? My rec center is just, honestly, maybe even more of a shout out than anything. I have been walking to and from work, just obsessed with listening to the Loki soundtrack by Natalie Holt. It is. Yeah probably and we like criminally we have not brought it up as much probably one of the very best facets of this show even over any of the other marvel shows is just the music is so on point even like all of the little just like tva background music is just so atmospheric and it's hard to like pin down what it really makes you feel because it's just like like sciency isn't an emotion, but like it's it makes you feel like sciency and triumphant, and there's just like all these incredible like you know the way they make those violins go off, and there's so much theremin. There's not enough theremin <laughs> in the world, and this makes up for it. It's truly just a treat, and I'm already looking forward to buying like a vinyl 
of it whenever I can get my hands on something like that because it's just truly enjoyable to listen to. No, it's it's a great soundtrack and it's permitted to be a great score that so much of Marvel is bogged down without music that sounds like anything or means anything or, or does anything for the tone because the most I feel like now Marvel's ever allowed to do is like pump in the Avengers theme whenever yeah, exactly. something big's happening. And this is so good at elevating the story that's being told. It's not. It's not necessarily like I'm not. I'm not even necessarily conscious that it's happening all the time. But it's because I'm so invested, and it helps me stay invested. The Avengers just plays because it gives you the Avengers feeling. Yeah, you know? exactly. And like this, you said, it gets a little. You're you're so focused on everything that's happening, just. Truly, if you got a pair of good stereo headphones and you just like throw this soundtrack on clean, it'll it'll be it'll blow your mind. Like you'll you'll hear stuff you fully missed, even though you'll you'll still feel like it's familiar. It's adorable, Seamus, that you and I have been listening to that separately without. Oh my god, about it. have you really? That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> oh hell yeah! That's actually some of my High Republic backdrop reading. Very uh, nice. Oh, that would work actually very well. I would feel like in a in a Star War, especially like a Star War that feels a little removed from a Star War. You know. Oh, absolutely lovely synergy. Synergize. Here, here's some money. Go rent. Go read a Star War. There it is. Perfect. God bless you, Jessica Walter, and your posthumous Emmy nomination. That's true. Yeah. Shout out to her. That wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference, though, Seamus. And if you want to reach the show, where where can you reach it? We are at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an email, we're at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Give us a like and subscribe on YouTube. And just download us wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely beautiful. You nailed it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Please download, like, subscribe, review it. Give us a message, like a comment. We will read those. Yeah, absolutely. We have a segment that we never use because nobody ever <laughs> messages us. <laughs> Be uh, the first to do it. You'll get that personal shout out. But next week we're talking about maybe maybe Quiet Place Part 2, I think. Oh, yeah, I I think. Yeah, because we're not doing Space Jam. We deci- we're decidedly not doing Space <laughs> Thank Jam. Thank God. No Space Jam. Uh, what a thing I never thought I'd be happy to say. <laughs> but yes, next week we're doing Quiet Place Part 2. It's now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So if you want to catch up, if you're not comfortable going to the theater yet, but you do want to see it, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It, it's, it's out of its theatrical window. Oh yeah, I'm excited to give it a shot, man. I'm, I've been looking forward to it. Me too, really. But yeah, uh, we'll see you next week for part two. (laughs) Oh, God. Adios, amigos.